Support for Pivot comes from BetterHelp. How do you know when your social battery is running on empty? Maybe you get a little snippy with your friends or perhaps Scott Galloway. Or maybe you just fantasize about canceling plans, creating one excuse after... You're fantasizing about me? No, 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 never. You're fantasizing about me. Again? Again? Not once. Not once. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. Get off my ad right now. All right. Canceling plans, creating one excuse after another, why you have to stay in. I do that to Scott all the time. It's not easy to keep track of how much socializing is right for you. Therapy can help you build more awareness of what you need and when. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy with licensed professionals. Scheduling is convenient and finding a therapist suited to your style is quick and easy. And we all know Scott Galloway needs therapy. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash pivot today. Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pivot. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. And I am so not going to Disney World. Kara, I am so <laughs> not going. Are you, you going? Have left floor. No, you can't. I hate Disney in the best of times. I made uh, a whole video about it. I hate it. Bob Iger and I have an ongoing war about the, how much I hate the Disney parks. Listen to me. 14 what? seconds until the first name drop. A new Listen winner. Winner, Listen winner, chicken dinner. You know what? Listen to me. You're, I'm not the one who abandoned Florida and its time of need. Need to to jet off to lovely places that don't have COVID. You, well, you, you know, have, I would have stayed, but they have their heads up their asses, and I'm embarrassed yeah. to be from there. Is that wrong? Is that no. going to come You're back to haunt me when I run for governor against the king of all heads up their asses, Ron DeSantis? What is the? Did you see the the video he did? He should not oh have taken a victory God. lap right ahead of this. It was like <laughs> a week before this started going downhill. It's crazy. I want you mean the, I want my apology that we're yeah. we're the smart ones opening. Yeah. 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 What is going? Is there a mentality there? When were you last there? When were you last in Florida? Uh, a couple of weeks ago. So are look, they not wearing masks? It's, it's hard. It, it's hard to you know n- to be a reductionist and say Florida. Florida has. I mean, Miami is just much different than Orlando, which is much different. Yeah. Than Ocala, so it's hard to reduce it. But I, I will say, I've been in Montana and Colorado and Florida in the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. and New York. And one of these things is not like the other. Montana had 21 infections and everyone's masking. New York has several hundred and everyone's masking. And in Florida, mm-hmm. there were, I think, 15, 15 a, a record. Yeah. And 16. yeah, pe- more, more people are masking, but it's still nowhere near the yeah. prevalence yeah. of, uh, and it, look, words matter when the governor comes out and says, when, when the governor and the president don't wear masks and when, the governor reinforces this notion that we don't that we can reopen safely and not acknowledge that we totally blew this and need to go back it has an impact and in some you know leadership matters and the dearth yes. 
So why is Disney opening? There. Why is this speaking of the, I, this I, I, I expect one. exactly zip from Ron DeSantos. I think he's, he's about as a fatuous chucklehead as it gets in terms of Republican politics, but Disney knows better. Why are they doing yeah, that? Yeah, but Disney, Disney is not Florida. Disney is a city and a state instant amongst itself. And yes, Disney, I, I, we've, I've read the stories. Disney, it's really interesting. Disney might be trying to, at first I thought, oh, this is irresponsible. And I thought, you know, but Disney, as a business strategy, first off, Netflix passed Disney in terms of market capitalization, which gives you a sense of where the world mm-hmm. is at. But Disney, I think, is pursuing what might be this incredible gangster strategy, and that is they are putting in place the investments and the protocols and the training mm-hmm. to try and create what I would call the first vaccinated theme park experience. And they yeah. they feel confident that they can pull it off. And if anyone can pull I'm, it off, it could be Disney. And I Disney guess. Becomes, I just think it's a huge risk given the bringing all those people in. I think it's just I, as you perfect as idea. you Because as perfect as you can be, you can't be perfect. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's no, just, I don't point, care what you are. Point. And I think this is something you don't need to go to a theme park. I get yeah. the jobs thing. I get it. I get it. But there's you don't. You don't need to go to restaurants, and I feel terrible for restaurant people. But I mean, there's yeah. certain things that have to happen, and there's certain things that could happen. No, and you're this right. is not one you're of them. Right. And the unfortunately, fa- the faster we put a nail in this thing's coffin, yeah. the faster well, the economy gets Europe. back. Europe's going to school. Everybody's going. Oh, it's just yeah. ridiculous. Let me get to the second story here, which is it's not related, but it's sort of a fatuous chucklehead area of my life, which is there's a lot of people. The Washington, uh, I'm not even going to say their names anymore. The Wash, the NFL football team is dropping the racial slur from its team name and rebranding its name. Logo, it's going to be. A, it hasn't decided on that yet. See how quickly it got pressure from FedEx and others. Um, but any advice for the company doing a total rebrand? I mean, this is like, and it took them. This Dan Snyder's owner uh, had taken years and always said, "No, I'm never going to change it." Uh, this and that. What do you? What do you? And there's others. The Indians are thinking of it in in Cleveland. Um, what do you think about all this? All right. Well, thank you because it's a it's an it's an outstanding opportunity to talk about me. But in, okay. my, in my second year of business school, Kara, I started mm-hmm. a brand strategy firm because I was inspired yes, by this, yes. this professor named David Ocker. Expertise, expertise. Yeah. And so we started a brand strategy firm called Profit, based on the notion that a company's most valuable assets were its brand. And ultimately, and the firm's done a great job. I sold it in in two thousand two, but the firm's now four hundred people. They do a great job. I have. I have probably counseled or directly consulted to a third of the Fortune 100, either the CEO or the CMO, on this type of issue. And let me run down, after robust analysis of this issue, what they should and will do. Mm-hmm. The first is, yes, the name is racist, and two, you're going to change it. So just yeah. get on with it and change yeah. it. Yeah. Boom. I mean, it's just this is literally the world's easiest brand strategy. Where do yeah. I send the invoice, Kara? I this is know. literally the easy. I went to a high school in um, West Los Angeles University High School, mm-hmm. and our mascot was the Warriors and mm-hmm. a Native American, a big headdress. And in 1998, we decided, okay, that's racist. So mm-hmm. my high school 22 years ago yeah. recognized how ridiculous this thing was. Yeah. But the the football team. What did they change team, it to? What did they change? But the football it team in the nation's cat, the nation's capital, hasn't figured it out yet. I know. What? What? Why do you think this is? Is just this this chucklehead who runs it, Dan Snyder? I, I think the owners are tone deaf. Owner, owner, it's one guy. Owner, I, I just, I can't. I, I, there's no rational excuse. I, I can't. Yeah. I think this is indefensible. What do you think? Yeah. I, I am amazed. I left. I mean, I lived in Washington 25 years ago, and it was a controversy then. And it's you know it was owned I think at the time by a man named Jack Kent Cook, another 
piece That's of work, right. as they say. Um, and I think, you know, then he, he, there wasn't sort of this push to do it. it. I thought it was repulsive and a lot of people did. Um, and you know, there was a big push at the time by saying, would you call it this? Would you call it that? And, uh, you know, another bunch of slurs just to give you an idea of how much of a slur it is. Um, and, and it was when I came back again, it was raging. And now I think the time has come. I just can't believe it took this long. And this guy, I, I, I don't even, they won't sell his, uh, his goods in a lot of places because of the name. Well, that's the name. what pushed him over the edge is when Nike yeah, said we're no longer selling your merchandise. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what will happen to the other, uh, the other teams. There's, I guess the, there's two others, right? In Cleveland and the, Indians. yeah. Yeah. And then, and, uh, there's another one. Anyway, they the should dolphins, just, it should be the Miami dolphins. Dolphin free tuna. <laughs> I'm good with the Triggered. dolphins. I'm feeling the dolphins are fine. I mean, I would be, what would be the name you would give them then? Well, I mean, the cap, Washington? the capitals did it. Remember they were called the bullets and it was in the middle of a shooting thing and they changed it. It was yeah. fast. It was done. They changed their name. The capitals is a great name or I think that's their name, right? So going back to my days as a brand strategist, the, the hardest thing to do, literally the hardest thing to do is naming because every name is taken. So Washington Capitals is the hockey team. Washington Wizards is the basketball team, I think. Yeah, those I, are both shitty names. The Capitals? I, I like How the do you Wizards. get behind the Capitals? I think the Wizards are Where great. Where are the Capitals? I don't even know what that logo is. The Wizards is. are great. I think that's their name. Anyway, what name would you give it? And then we're going to move on to our I big story. I haven't come up, I haven't come up with come a name. name. Come on. You I didn't get, you earn your money. You did not earn not come up, your money. I have not come up with a name. I'll think about, about it. The cherry, how about the cherry blossoms? The blossoms? Yeah, that brings out a lot of macho. Come, <laughs> I think that would come be total count. Come on, the, the blossoms. They go tuss, blossoms. They bl- go, go blossoms. blossoms. <laughs> Do you know what? Oh, oh my God. God. That's brilliant. Our new sponsor, I mean, the Hallmark Channel. By the way, I've been watching cable TV. I'm so excited. I got home. One of the things, I'm back in New York. And yeah. I have Hulu where you actually have live TV for like $700 a month. Mm-hmm. Live TV is so awesome. One, I haven't seen commercials in so long. They're kind of interesting, too. You can watch. You can watch little bits of Goodfellas all the time on live cable TV. And then you can go to the Hallmark Channel and find out how to fall in love with a man. And then you no, go to Lifetime like, and you find out watch, how to kill that watch, same man. I only watch news on live TV. Let me just say, I'll just tell you something. I'm going to give you a recommendation. I still haven't watched the rabbit one that you want me to watch. Uh, Charlie's Charlie two movies Palm Springs with uh Andy Andy Samberg who does that Lonely Island yeah great movie one yeah. that's on Hulu secondly uh a badass Charlie Theron in Old Guard she oh, plays God. a really old kick-ass warrior speaking of warriors uh you got to watch it Charlie Theron is one She's badass lady She's and so it's, it's about this people mortals that go around and do things and she's the head she's the oldest of them and it's you really miss, good you missed my joke you go to what? you go to hallmark tv to find out how to fall in love with a man and then lifetime to figure out how to kill him oh okay i got it okay i'm sorry i didn't laugh at that's your from joke. the twitter account and I, the forgot Instagram dad. Account. I, I, I forgot dad jokes my son is starting to do dad jokes speaking which i'll get to that later by the way my other son thinks you're the bomb he's listening to your show did he, he see me on like, anderson cooper on thursday he night sees, he yes he did he likes everything about you and he's like i think uh galloway's fine by himself he doesn't need you and i was like okay so <laughs> he likes you on he thursday thought your night. first shows were, sh- were, were were rocky but then it got better on anderson cooper yeah. he yeah. clearly he clearly knows and likes you because he called out yeah he called out pivot yeah, the gays. It's, yeah. the, gay, it's the gay yeah, network. It's, yeah. it's the whole yeah. thing. And well, you know what he, he said? You. He said he's reading my book. And for the first time, I had this emotion I oh, haven't no. had in a while. I thought, oh, my gosh, I hope it's good. I forget what's in there. I hope it's he good. Needs a, he needs a partner to raise his child. I think you're right in there. He has I a partner. In New York. I've already looked into it. Does he? Oh, yeah, right. he's got okay. a partner. 
Okay. All right. Yeah. Never see them. No. All right. Okay. Anyway, we're now going to move on to big stories. Google will invest $10 billion in India, the latest in a string of big tech investments in the country during 2020. The company is launching the Google for India Digitization Fund. They'll invest the money over the next five to seven years through equity investments and partnerships, as well as infrastructure. Sudar Pichai, who is from India, actually, he uh, he came here from there as a, a young man, says the investment will focus on four areas, affordable access in local Indian languages, new products and services aimed at Indians, helping businesses get online and using technology to provide promote social issues. Back in January, Jeff Bezos announced that Amazon would be investing $1 billion in India over the next five years. A few months ago, Facebook announced they'd be investing $5.7 billion into geo, the Geo platform, an Indian digital services writer. You know, this is coming even as India is banning mm-hmm. things all over the place, like TikTok and other things. So in getting a lot of control of the internet, uh, what thinks you of these things? Well, this is, I mean, if you think about it, especially the difference between a second world and a third world country was, I think the second world was, had gone communist. I mean, basically mm-hmm. every, every nation tried to play the U.S. off against the Russian in terms of getting sure. aid. And effectively, India is now kind of, not only say stuck in the middle, but exploiting the middle in the sense that India is the next big opportunity. Billion and a half people, only half of them are online. It, it's an emerging middle class, biggest democracy in the world, most PhDs. It just it's it's ripe with opportunity. And I think a lot of these Internet giants have said, okay, China, which is not a democracy, China, which has the kind of there's two Internets, the ones behind the Great Firewall Mm -hmm. and the rest. And they see, I mean, simply put, they're just say India is the biggest opportunity. And the fact that India and China have had some border skirmishes that's resulted in India banning TikTok or threatening to ban TikTok. I think a lot of the tech giants see this is the big opportunity. This is the forward looking investment is India. You know, it's interesting. For years, uh, India has been the place where obviously they did other work. You know, they did extra work there and they had hired people and it was never sort of the center of the action. Um, they would, you know, they would do, they would do the main, uh, um, software development here and then use Indian, the talent in India in, in the secondary way. And now it's sort of become its own power, um, and, and doing all kinds of innovative things and stuff like that. But, why do you think it's India versus, well, you can't, they can't go to China. And then secondly, given our conversations about HB1 visa suspensions from the Trump administration, these work visas specifically bar a lot of skilled Indian workers from coming to Silicon Valley. Will this big, you know, is this the next big move for them? It's, it'll be interesting. I mean, one, it's a great looking, it's a, just as Lululemon invested a million dollars in Mirror to conduct diligence and Mm -hmm. then make acquisitions, Mm-hmm. You're going to see so many small invest. It's a great time to be an Indian entrepreneur in tech because right. a lot of these big companies will say, okay, we'll just give you a million or $2 million early on just so we can get closer to you and right. decide if you should be an ac- a, a potential acquisition or a potential partner. So you're going to see just a flood into India. I wonder, unfortunately, I wonder if it, as usual, might be really good for big tech. I wonder if it'll be bad for America, though, because the CEOs of Microsoft, Adobe, Google, MasterCard, mm-hmm. and Noyer from Pepsi. Mm-hmm. These are all people who came over in student visas uh, just from one yes, country, India. And I wonder if at some point our xenophobia and just a general overt bigotry most recently displayed as we've decided that students who don't, who are here on student visas, who are enrolled in a campus that goes all online means they're supposed to leave, which is just just so ridiculous and weird. I wonder if India, if a lot of uh, the most, some of the most talented people, immigrants, um, 
uh, folks from India decide to come here, g- maybe get their education, and then just go back. I wonder if the the uh, I mean, the number of people who decide that the opportunity is so huge that they go back. But having said that, you would have thought the same thing about China. And I am shocked how many Chinese nationals come here, get educated here, and want to stay. Um, the, right. the number of kids that call me and say, you know, enjoyed the class, enjoyed Stern. Can you help me find a job? I want to stay. So, right. but it's, it's, there's just no doubt about it. You're going to see a boom, uh, you know, even more so than is already here, but all eyes, not on the far East, but, uh, the near East India, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens to the stock market there, but yeah, everyone's saying, okay, it, it sort of worked with China on some levels, but it looks like right. we're getting in a non-shooting war with China. Well, Let's now- move to our ally, India. I get that. But, you know, Mo, under Modi, he's been one of the one of the he's shut down the Internet more than any other democracy. He you know, he tries to control it a lot. He's yeah. much more autocratic. Is that an issue for them? I mean, I, I don't think it's an issue at all for them. It's sort of like in uh, it's not China light, but it's sort of uh, it's a version of, of of the of the state taking a lot of interest in controlling technology and what people Yet. Yeah, but unfortunately, that's a nuance. We no longer have the luxury mm-hmm. of examining in detail because we have such dumpster fires that are so much more egregious and brazen. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the problem with all, all of this. When you have a pandemic, when you have a move towards fascism with the current administration, you basically all th- that topic that you just mentioned would have been a mm-hmm. real topic of discussion six years yeah. ago. Yeah, now it's like, oh well, it you know, it's not. It's like you said, it's China light. It's just mm-hmm. it doesn't get the scrutiny it deserves. Yeah. And in terms of, 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 of what, what they hope to get at when they're all there, obviously there was car sharing, uh, there's commerce uh, competition. You think it's just these investments that they're making all over the, rather than, rather than purchasing anything. Oh, it's, that'll it'd be, be difficult. I mean, you saw it, it'd be difficult to purchase it again. This government is not, is very proud of its technology prowess. And so I think they used to be seen as a sort yep. of secondary market of like, copy cat or doing things, you know, the scut work they'd send at night that, that you, they, so they would have a 24 seven development thing. Now they really do feel they have innovative company companies that have been started there. And so, um, so I think it'll be very hard for them to, to, for us companies to buy anything there at all. I don't know. So, I mean, if you look at, uh, the mother of all kind of defensive acquisitions, what I mean is trying to keep it out of the hands of another player. Walmart went mm-hmm. in and I think spent $14 billion on flip carts. So Amazon wouldn't mm-hmm. get it. Yeah. Uh, Facebook just put $5 billion, and you're right, it's on acquisition. It's an investment yeah. into, Geo, I think it's called Geomart, the largest telco provider, trying to figure out a way to put small businesses on a platform and move from a telco to uh, maybe a marketplace. So I think you're going to see, I think it's going to be a very exciting time. You're going to see venture capitalists open up offices mm-hmm. in India. You're going to see, for the first time, a reverse migration. It reminds are. me of, yeah. you're going to see a lot of MBA students in the U.S., uh, go to India to try and have, take it. Have man. you been to India? I'm just curious. It's the only major, it's really kind of the only, I would describe, major place I've never been to. And quite wow. frankly, I'm intimidated by it. But, um, really? I love India. You love India. What do you love about it? Uh, well, it's, it's a complicated place. Let's, it's, love would be a hard thing to say. I find it invigorating in a lot of ways. Yep. There's so much activity. There's so much, um, entrepreneurship you can yep. feel. And then at the same time, there's such astonishing income inequality that it's, yeah. Uh, it's yeah, hard to, it's me. hard to, um, it's hard to justify what's happening there. And at the same time, it's, um, very modern. At the, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a really interesting place. And the entrepreneurs I've always found riveting to talk to, uh, just terrific entrepreneurs. I did a story there for the Wall Street Journal. That's how long ago I've been there many times, but, um, 
uh, where they had taken a field uh, that was, I, I can't, it's no other way to say it. It was a, a field of yaks and they turned it into a just-in-time software development thing. With, it was a Microsoft executive. It was right next to a power station. So people didn't, there was, you know, there's travel issues and all kinds of, you know, infrastructure problems at India at the time. And so they were making this village that was just for software developers. It was mm-hmm. a great story. And it was really, I just enjoyed my time there so much. And I found the, uh, so entrepreneurial. And, the, and I remember coming back and saying, we this is not a country we can treat like a a, a sideline software development place. Mm-hmm. It's a really innovative group of people. Same thing in Israel. You have the same feeling when you go to Israel. Uh, they're just a, it's you know it's it, it's a little less stark in Israel. It's just the starkness of the income inequality is really hard to deal I've with. Been and, really... and and the and the religious. There's so many religious groups yeah. competing. I, I've always been very drawn to it. My best friends at uh, Stern are Indian, uh, oh, and it's just there's a certain. And I, I, I'm making a stereotype here, but there's a certain... Yeah, you just sort of said some of my best friends are Indian, but go ahead. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> there you go. I tried to But it's true. It, if you look at Stern, are just, the, just we have such an incredible... We are so incredibly blessed by uh, immigrants from India. Our dean, uh, Raghu Sundaranam, my close friend, um, Vasant Dar, a leader in a, you know an AI, Aswat the Motoran, probably the best teacher alive on the planet, are all these incredibly impressive people that came from India and decided to stay. And they all share, and again, this is a stereotype, they all share this sort of gentleness and grace about them. Yeah, so I've always been really fascinated <laughs> with India. Group of people is graceful, but but it, what's interesting is how much this country is is really hurting itself in terms of of, of having you know it's I think these are global companies Google, Facebook, Amazon, and they have to have global investments. And China is sort of barred from all of them, right? There's just not there's not an opportunity to get into the next big market. It's a massive market. And, and we have benefited the United States from these visas and the people coming here. And now the, the hopefully will be over soon. The Trump administration's efforts to de-innovate this country uh, will be over. Well, soon let's, enough, let's put but, some numbers on it. It's a, right. a million international students. It's about a $40 billion. Uh, they spent $40 million here. About half a million jobs can be directly correlated mm-hmm. to. Oh. Absolutely. To um to international students and a lot of people have said, well, MIT and the lawsuit from MIT and Harvard are going to overturn it. It doesn't matter because the damage is done. It's it, basically what you have with international students. You know, when you walk into a hotel care on the back of the door, it says the rack rate is twelve hundred and eighty dollars, and you're at a Holiday Inn. And no, I never look at the back of the door. Well, you know, they ahead. they have they usually I've have this yes. this piece of paper yeah. saying we can charge up to twelve hundred dollars for this room. Yeah. The only people to pay that you think, okay, no one pays that, but international students do pay full freight at at schools, colleges, yeah. And so, again, I think this goes back to something fairly dark, even beyond the free gift with purchase of racism. And that is, I think that the Trump administration has decided to go out and financially neuter the most liberal areas, the most liberal institutions in America, specifically our universities. I think this is, and if you think about it, this is so dark if you just keep going more and more meta, and that is. When you move from an autocracy, or I'm sorry, when you move from a democracy to an autocracy, the first set of institutions the autocrat goes after are what? The media. And then number two is they go after the universities yep. and the intellectuals. And and Dr. Fauci. But anyway, yeah, we have to go. move on because okay. we have another break. Um, we're going to take a quick break and come back to talk about Facebook, uh, possibly banning political ads. And we have a friend of Pivot, Rashad Robinson uh, from Color Change, to talk about how Facebook has failed to meet its civil rights standards. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. 
If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, Scott, we're back. We have very quick time before Rashad comes on. Facebook says it is considering a ban on political ads. I don't know if this is blanket or something more nuanced. I'm hoping for something more nuanced. After weeks of vitriol from advertisers and civil rights advocates, Facebook is reportedly considering a ban on political ads across its networks prior to the November election. Mark Zuckerberg has repeatedly said the company would not police politicians' ads because of his, quote, belief in free speech. Last fall, Twitter announced it would be banning political ads. Twitter says it defines political advertising as referencing a, quote, candidate, political party, elected or appointed government official, election, referendum, ballot measure, legislation, regulation, directive, or judicial outcome. But they do allow some things around uh, the environment and, 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 and topic issues. So, so let's talk very quickly as we have a shot coming on. But I think this is uh, what I was saying on CNBC this morning is like throwing a hammer at a piano. I'm sorry, you were on CNBC this morning? Yes, I was. Like you were on, on, on your, on your favorite show with Anderson Cooper. Um, but it's, it's, it, I think they have to have a nuanced decision, not just a, a complete ban. I'm hoping it's not a complete ban because it does hurt small, uh, small campaigns and it, and it, it advantages people like Donald Trump. Well, you know who it hurts the most? It hurts Biden. Biden has 2 million followers. So organic and Trump has 28. So a banning mm-hmm. of paid ads yeah. uh, naturally goes to the, the advantage goes to who has the most organic. Line. I mean, the, everything, everything around Facebook just leads you to somewhere, to somewhere bad. And this most mm-hmm. recent decision that they're contemplating and they put out a trial balloon, stopping political advertising, leading up to the election is sort of like a tobacco company saying, well, well, we're going to stop selling cigarettes to children on Christmas Day. It's like, okay, let me get this leading up to it. So what, the last 24 hours, the last seven days, it just doesn't, it's just amazing to me that, that, okay, if we'd had any organization in the world that had been effectively weaponized to pervert or you know, decrease the sanctity of our elections that, A, would that business be around? B, would they be allowed to advertise? C, would they be allowed to do political advertising? It just amazes me that we're even having this conversation kind of three and a half years post what I'm happened surprised in their answer is not more nuanced. You know what I mean? It's not, they think they're going to like, this is sort of throwing, you know, here, we'll give you this. Like, it, and they don't understand that it's not, it's not the point. It's, um, Right now, Facebook uh, expects to sell. This was in October, four hundred twenty million dollars in political ads next year. So it's it's a it's a substantive amount, but not for Facebook. Um, but that, that they can't come up with a more nuanced way to do this around 
They just want to get out of it. They just, this is so typical of them. They want to get out of it without doing any of the hard, hard lift. Just, we're just going to ban them. So we will ban the, the truth tellers and the liars at the same time. And that what they, they don't want to have anything to do with the getting rid of egregious problems. And then it doesn't solve the problem of content, political content that isn't paid that, you know, the Trump administration uh, campaign and others use so handily, you know, on the service. It's not paid. That's really the problem from what I understand from experts. It's actually these, these, this content, these content mills that, you know, gin up false stories. I don't understand why they just wouldn't take a page from traditional media and and have some sort of editorial oversight of the ads, force that you identify who's paying for the ads mm-hmm. and either label or refuse to run blatantly false. I don't I, I mean, other media companies have figured this out. They don't, don't want to judge it. Now, mm-hmm. there's no rule that broadcast has to do this. They just do it. They just yeah. have broadcast standards. And so. I, I, I don't understand what's, it will end up either being ridiculously like ham handed or it will be so complex and we don't have time until November to figure it out. Yeah. And at the heart of it is that they continue to favor th- their version of free speech, which is not free speech over civil rights protections of people. And they do have a duty, um, to do that. And I think it's really quite astonishing that they continue continue to do this it's i I, i'd love to be in these meetings i wonder how we could sneak into them (laughs) yeah i'm sure we'll get it that that invites in the mail so you know who summarizes it perfectly was um, tell me roger mcnamee wrote an opinion piece Mm -hmm, for wired and he wrote this is just one excerpt the problems with silicon valley's largest companies especially the internet platforms are not occasional or inadvertent. They're systemic and intentional. Hate speech, disinformation, and conspiracy theories are the meticulously engineered lubricants that maximize revenue for Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. The decline of journalism has happened because Google and Facebook found a way to insert themselves between media companies and their audience, and then to siphon off advertising dollars. The explosion and influence of extremist groups on Facebook are not an accident. They are the result of conscious choices. That's Go right. Roger, Roger. Go Roger, Roger. Roger the gangster. You know, you know, and I think he, I think he knows these people better. Must and they, of course, try really hard to call him a crank. Um, you know, but I think he, 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 you know, he understands. Investors. He understands that Silicon Valley is at heart elitist and authoritarian. They just are. That's what it's said. You know, that's what he's talking about. Elitist and authoritarian he, say the yes. podcast elite. <laughs> you know what? If I had authority, perhaps we would be oh, authoritarian. You have a lot of authority. Have, People are very scared not, of you. No, Don't give I do me not a break. Have, no, I do not have actual authority. Actual, like, I do not have an ability to stop them from doing that. I have mm. my mouth, which I can run on, as you do. But I don't have authority. And run, and I we will. Run like the wind, run, my sister. But it, it seems like, again, getting back to Charlize Theron, she, she's tired of fighting all the bad guys after a while. And this is the whole theme of this movie. But you get, like, today on, on, on when I was talking, I was like, I'm tired of t- saying this. I'm tired of, like, having to be the one to note it. And I, I know Roger does it. You do it. Many others. It doesn't. They, like, wait you out. That's what they do. They just yeah, wait you out. Gone. Well, yeah, I got it. I, you know, something. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. People, uh, I get a lot of calls on antitrust, and I'm like, in this big hearing coming out, and I just feel exhausted by it all. Do you feel yeah. exhausted? I feel exhausted. I by do, it all. I do. I, they're not good. It's like with with Trump and other things. It's like today, Chuck Woolery. He was retweeting Chuck Woolery. I was like, are you kidding me? Um, the game show was, host. Yes, he's very right wingy, and he says that oh, he science so nice. doesn't I understand. Like no, really do not, do not, no. Go look and see what he just posted. He's like, D- you don't have to listen to doctors and medical people. This is all about hurting Trump and the election. Hmm. He's crazy. No, Chuck Willery is down Scott Bio Lane. He lives down there with Another him. Another great Scott. actor. Uh, oh, my God. Come on. Oh, my like, God. Both of Joni them are loves hacks. Chachi. 
No, Joni <laughs> hates Chachi. Joni hates Chachi. Let me just say, both of those are big Trump supporters. That's a, that's the level that of celebrity us. he gets. I'm sorry. When Scott yes. Bio and Chuck Woolery come out for Trump, I think that helps uh, us. No, no. Go, guys. You be you. Anyway, we're going to talk about this, like, in terms of what... Okay, I want a prediction before Rashad gets on of what you think that they Facebook will come out with. What will it be? A total ban on political advertising, which I think is problematic, or what? The calculus they'll do, and I don't know what the decision is, but I know the calculus leading up to the decision will be what will create the greatest perception or appearance of us doing anything over the minimum impact to revenue. That is the entire calculus driving that decision. What will we get the most potential credit for actually so, moving on? What is that? What will well, that be? Well, this notion that uh, 48 hours before the actual voting booths open, we will not allow political ads, meaning that. I think 8% mm -hmm. of the revenue comes from political ads. If you cancel it the last 72 hours or withhold it, you probably don't lose any revenue because if you mm -hmm. give all your advertisers a heads up that, that, that the windows close for advertising 72 hours before, you know, call it October yeah, 31st, so they lose right, no okay. revenue. So they want to be mm -hmm. perceived as doing something and being earnest. This is this trial mm -hmm. balloon while having absolutely no impact or revenue. This is to their credit on some level, it's the most shareholder-driven organization in the world, whether it means lying, yeah. whether it means addicting Agreed. teens, whether it means perverting our elections. You know, Honey Badger just don't give a shit. What gets us the most money in the door? So they're going to try and come up with something that looks like they're doing something but has absolutely no impact to their revenue. So something like cutting it off three days before the election. Which is what they're something. probably, I mean, it seems ridiculous yeah. to me that that is even something that people think, oh, good for them. I mean, it's just, mm -hmm. so I, what? I did not think good for them. I, that's what I said. It's just so what? Anyway, all right, Scott, let's move on to a friend of Pivot who has a lot of opinions about Facebook. Rashad Robinson is the executive director of Color of Change, the country's largest racial justice organization. Last week, he was part of a meeting with Facebook executives about the July ad boycott on Facebook and the demands he and those companies have on the social media platform. He was not impressed by Zuckerberg's performance. Sheryl Sandberg was also on the call. So Rashad, why don't you give us a rundown? I know you've been on the phone uh, before with these, these two, especially. Um, so give us a rundown of what happened. So, you know, we got to the meeting and before the meeting, we had shared the list of demands again. And demands mm -hmm. are not complicated. These demands have been part of ongoing meetings, protests. Some of them have been highlighted in previous versions of mm -hmm. the civil rights audit that have come out um, over the past uh, year and a half, two years. And so we got to the meeting really with the goal of having uh, um, them tell us what they thought and where they mm -hmm. were heading because they actually requested the meeting. Right. Uh, and we've been very clear about the boycott. And so we got to the meeting and, you know, they wanted us to go through and explain uh, the demands. You know, I've been in a lot of meetings with Facebook. Yeah. I've been in meetings with a lot of corporations where they get trained on how to run out the clock. They right. have these sort of strategies on how to, you know, have a meeting where they, you know, get you to talk a lot and then they don't actually have to tell you anything new. Mm -hmm. And so I, I actually took the lead in the opening and really sort of pushed him like, hey, you know, you've got the demands. We actually want to go through right. and tell you where and you're you at. And you brought them to them before. Is that correct? I mean, you had, you, you had mentioned, mentioned one or two. Give me an example. Yeah. Give so one is it was about a C-suite civil rights mm -hmm. uh, leader mm -hmm. that had budget and had the ability to oversee and and weigh in on product and new policy. Mm -hmm. Another was um, specifically to deal with the political exemption mm -hmm. and the way in which um, 
they kind of talk out of both sides of their mouth. On one hand, they'll say that they have political exemption, but they don't really use it and no one ever gets exempted. And then Donald Trump will get exempted. And then they'll mm-hmm. say, well, that's because he didn't violate the policy, but they can't ever tell you yeah, when he will he violate the policy. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's just like you're talking in circles. And so that's just another example of how you end up this situation where mm-hmm. they may we have spent years working on getting rules in place only for them to not enforce the rules when it actually matters. Right. And so I wanted them to go through this. And, you know, my last meeting with Mark and Cheryl was on June 1st, right after the looters and shooters post, right mm-hmm. after those uh, posts around voter suppression, where I, at the end of the meeting, was like, what are we doing here? Why are we continuing to meet if mm-hmm. I don't feel like anything's happening? And if you're trying to just explain to us why you haven't, um, you know, why you're working hard. They Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time in the meeting telling us why their platform, why they're doing more than all the other social media platforms. They've done that. They've gone around to advertisers and done that too. They're so much better. They're working so much harder. They have done things that other folks won't do. I mean, this is the kind of constant line. And, you know, at some point someone said in the meeting, so I guess what you're saying is that you're doing everything right in that we're just, you know, crazy. Mm -hmm. And, they're like, no, 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 that's not what we're saying. I'm like, well, then what are you saying? Yeah, they're like, good at that. What are you saying to us if you're mm-hmm. saying that, yes, you are working hard, You're this is part of an ongoing conversation, this is a start, not a finish. I mean, you've heard all these things as well. Yeah. And then they spend all this time telling you how great they're doing, how much better they're doing. And you're left to be like, well, so, then, like, so they were backed up by the audit too. their own audit said exactly what you're saying, which was that they have have created a really dangerous situation, uh, civil rights by favoring um, favoring their version of free speech over civil rights. Um, how, what do you why? Why do you think that is you have spent time with them? If you were him, what would you do to, to fix the structure? Among the demands of the first or second thing. Well, I would, I would separate the, uh, the kind of decisions about um, moderation and content from his global policy shop. Mm-hmm. There is not a scenario moving forward where Joe Kaplan overseeing this is yep. going to be fine with anyone. And if he replaces Joe Kaplan with someone else that has to oversee their relationships in Washington, other folks are not going to be comfortable with that. The -hmm. fact of the matter is, is if these decisions are through the lens of how to keep um, policymakers and policy leaders happy, then you've actually violated one of the sort of opening tenets of bringing and and fermenting sort of um, connection. Because you are making decisions rooted in um, keeping powerful people and powerful forces comfortable and happy, which is what happens around the world, right? It happens here in the United States, and we have a particular experience with it. But other folks in other parts of the world have a different experience where protests might be illegal, where speaking out might be illegal. The fact of the matter is, is that Facebook will tell us one thing about their intentions, but every single decision is rooted in profit and growth. And every single decision is through that lens. And so in order to keep profit and growth going, they actually have to um, stay friends with those in power. So Rashad, first off, kudos to you and Color of Change. I was really skeptical that this boycott was going to have any impact. And this boycott that you and your organization have catalyzed has had more impact than Uh, and more awareness than almost any other effort I can see to date. So first off, well done. Uh, Secondly, quite frankly, I'm not sure it's going to 
do anything. And, and let's speculate that if you call on their better angels, that no one's home and that you have to move back to applying financial pressure. Can you give us a sense of the state of the boycott and how you put pressure on or call on the better angels of the people uh, at, at organizations that spend money on Facebook? What's the state of the boycott and how can you increase it 10 or 20 fold uh, such you bring about real pressure, which in my view, financial pressure is the only lever uh, that you or any of us have. Yeah, I mean, I think financial pressure as well as hopefully if we can change the sort of political levers in Washington, mm-hmm. that to me is the is the long game because mm-hmm. even this type of effort feels like something that we just can't be in constant um, go around with against the largest advertising platform the world has ever known, right? And it just can't simply be about asking advertisers to walk away. I've had a lot of conversations with advertisers, a lot of conversations recently with the uh, Madison Avenue firms who sort of manage advertisers, trying Mm -hmm. to continue to get a pulse of where folks are at. I think one thing that's been really helpful here is that this conversation has trickled up to the board level at a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Facebook is really good. Cheryl is really good. Cheryl will pick up the phone and call you. And look, she's like a, a personable person. And, and likable. she's mm-hmm. in the role that she's in because she can sort of manage um, relationships. And a lot of folks who are in advertising, who are in powerful positions of corporations, don't want to be on the opposite side of one of those powerful sort of corporations. Don't want to be on the opposite side of the leadership inside the ad space Mm -hmm. at Facebook. And so they've built these relationships over time, but because things have trickled up to the board level, a lot of the sort of relationships are not as powerful anymore because they don't have the same levers with people who are making these decisions. They're getting pressured by other forces. Mm -hmm. I also think like some of the things that Mark has said about advertisers coming back, some of the sort of flip ways he has sort of responded to this, I think uh, we've, I've been able to sort of talk directly with corporate CEOs and be like, well, you know, it's one thing for Mark to call us weak, for mm-hmm. us to say he doesn't have to think about sort of what we're demanding. But, you know, a bunch of corporate CEOs, at, so, at what point are you all going to like stand up? Mm-hmm. At what point are you all going to like say, yeah, you're not going to let this person walk walk all over you? And I think that that, I think, has been part of their challenging missteps is that um, I think that they have stepped on the ego of a lot of folks who have ego and who well, don't want to be treated of, like that. They're not valuable. Or their opinions don't matter. One of the things is they don't like Facebook. Now you can talk to most of them. They will, yep. they, they tolerate it because they need it because it's the only game in town. Mm-hmm. And you're right about the political levers. So two, two things I'd love to know. What, what do you think the impact right now of what Facebook is doing on people of color, because you have a group that's not just people of color. You have the ADL, you've got yeah. the, the NAACP, you've got so many groups you're working with. Um, what is the impact on society right now for these continued, uh, I would call them abuses by Facebook to the general public? Yeah, I mean, the technology that's supposed to bring us into the future is in so many ways dragging us into the past, where we had created a sense of social context social contracts around the ways that white nationalists could organize, right? They can't organize at the Starbucks in a public space and have a meeting. They couldn't like do things out in public in the same ways. And the ways in which the incentive structures at Facebook have allowed people to not only organize, but, you know, 
when someone starts to, you know, a 15 year old that sort of is searching for some one thing runs into some white nationalist content and then goes down a hole because they get served more and more of this content because the ways that the algorithms are set up, they're almost sort of indoctrinated into these ideas that in many ways, there's been a lot of effort to like put at the margins. They have created a space that it feels like home, makes these things comfortable, makes these things acceptable. And so to that extent, that has been damaging. And at the same time, Facebook has refused to be um, accountable. So I was having a conversation with um, Alicia Garza, who's one of the Mm -hmm. co-founders of Black Lives Matter. Alicia famously posted Black Lives Matter on Facebook right mm-hmm. after the Zimmerman verdict, um, you know, after... Um, Which in got the, it started. It was, it was How important. it started. Mark talks about it. He talked about it yeah. in his free expression speech at mm-hmm. Georgetown. And Alicia gets regular death threats. Um, she's a friend of mine and uh, a colleague in the movement, and she gets regular death threats on Facebook. Hmm. And she has to go through the same decision tree that anyone else has to go through. And she's had about 20 over the last, like, several months Mm -hmm. and every one of them has been declined through automation she goes in she puts the thing she passes off and they say something about it doesn't violate never a phone call from facebook never an outreach never sort of the engagement one would expect and so this is alicia who's on tv who is like well known who has Mm -hmm. who actually like they use her name they use her work in the cases they make around this and they like don't even respond to the attacks that she's getting. It's because they don't care. The same way Mark can say that these Fortune 500 advertisers don't matter. He's on the other hand saying that black activists and their voices don't matter. Like the fact of the matter is, is like one would imagine how um, he would have treated SNCC organizers how he would have treated, you know, the sort of civil rights leaders that we lionize today um, in terms of the ways in which they were attacked and targeted. And all of this, right, is because you've got this person that has far too much control and believes that they and they alone sort of understand what's right. And we don't actually have the levers to challenge them. And so I really appreciate what you said around the boycott, and I feel really proud of what we've been able to do. But part of this, from my perspective, has always been about raising the level of attention and energy and focus so that we can advance the real conversation about 21st century rules of the road. Because we, it's not just Facebook. It is that all of these platforms um, if left to their own devices, will rely on the wrong set of incentive structures because profit and growth are key drivers Mm -hmm. to why they sort of exist. I'm always fascinated by, uh, I don't know how old you are. You sound young. How, how, what advice would you uh, give to a younger person or your younger self who wants a career in activism or social justice? How did you get where you are and what advice would you give to people who want to be in a career that makes a difference? Yeah. Um, a couple of things when I, you know, I, I grew up in a really like involved political family. I grew up in a town that was like 10% black on Eastern Long Island. So we had to organize for everything. I also learned what it means to like be involved with multiracial coalitions, like to be rooted in your community, but recognizing that you have to build alliances to get anything done. Um, You know, I think the thing that I oftentimes give people advice around, 
is around disrupting magical thinking about how change happens, like constantly questioning Mm -hmm. sort of what are the levers that we actually have to pull. I think we tell ourselves stories about that if we just change hearts and minds or that if we just have the right set of ideas, that that will win. And I constantly help people. And I think I talk to folks in my own organization, people who come to me, is to really start wrestling with power. Because the reason why we don't have equality for women, for people of color, the reason why we still have so many challenges is not related to like ideas. It's not related to hearts and minds. It is related to power. And that Mm -hmm. means that we actually have to build institutions. And that means we have to be part of institutions. So the final thing I tell people is like, we sometimes tell a story that a single person can sort of like unlock stuff on their own and make change. And I just don't think that that's true. I think that like, yes, a single, single people, each of us individually are important, but we actually have to be part of things, right? Like this was, this campaign was not built on a Twitter strategy of an individual person's Twitter account. Now we've learned from a lot of people out in social media, but it was built because we built infrastructure over the years. And then that infrastructure could leverage and make sure corporations did things that they didn't want to have to do and then followed up with them and then engaged them and created an incentive for them to feel like if they did it, they would be publicly rewarded. All of those things take time and you just, you just don't make change overnight. Um, so just, you know, just I interrupt you along, along the lines of change, just a call yeah. to action here, Rashad. If people buy into what you're saying and what Color of Change is doing with respect to Facebook, what are the one or two things any of the three and a half billion Facebook users could do right now if they wanted to be supportive of your actions? What's the call to action? So a couple of things. I think that folks um, need to first and foremost vote in this upcoming election. Mm-hmm. And I think that people need to make sure that uh, politicians know that um, we want um, to hold big institutions accountable and that we vote because the long game is is a new set of rules and we just don't get that by wishing. Um, the second thing I think for folks who are like actively using um, Facebook is that if they see negative content, if they see content that's hateful and they see an advertiser next to it, send that to the advertiser. Advertisers need to consistently hear from consumers that why yeah. are you sponsoring this type of content? Why do you have your brands next to this type of content? Most, most, the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of advertisers are not trying to have their stuff next to this. But Facebook is telling them one story, and there's a totally different story that's actually um, sort of at play. Um, yeah. And then sort of finally, I think that all of us have to be really active users about the content that's coming our way. What is what are we clicking on? What are we sharing? What are we engaging with? Because the level of disinformation and misinformation that's going to be sort of on platforms as we head into this election is going to be outrageous. And we all sort of in our day to day lives can play a role in disrupting that and cleaning and it up back on. Yeah. 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 Last question for me. Um, they had just announced that they floated a trial balloon that they're going to cut off all political advertising. I am not a fan of this because I think Neither it's not nuanced. It's not complex. It doesn't require them to do anything. But, uh, you know, it's not even virtue signaling. I don't know what it is. It's so dumb. I can't even begin to start. What 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 do you think? You do not want that. You want them to just just, and also, it doesn't address the issue of political content, not, not just political advertising. What would what do you think of that? Well, in a in a country that's like 
was supposedly the story we are told, right, was founded on insurgents, right, who mm-hmm. like wanted to make their voice heard up against powerful um, elites, even if they kept so many other people out, right? This bakes in the people who are already in charge, right? Mm-hmm. If folks um, who are have emerging voices can't build audience, can't use this, it's going to prioritize people who can pay for TV ads. And, and you know, part of why these platforms are actually even um, helpful and useful is that they allow for people to um, engage um, people that they wouldn't otherwise reach. The other thing is, is that for groups like mine, I have to pay to reach my audience. Mm-hmm. I like I we've built an audience, but then we have to pay to reach them. And if I can't, if, and if they are classifying um, things that we're doing as political, then that creates a problem. Facebook has been really bad also about what is political and what's not political. Like ads for LGBT pride celebrations have been classified as political over mm-hmm. the years. And so like, is that political? Is it political to just to say that you're gay? Like, or, and maybe it is, but is that politics like an election? Like, do, like, if this is their way of not actually having to have, um, um, take responsibility for um, disinformation, for lying, for hate content on their yep. platform that yep. money gets put behind. This is their way of continuing to make a lot of money without being responsible and not offending people that might um, sort of play a role in holding them accountable. And, um, and it's not cute, and we don't think it's a good trial balloon, and I've already had that conversation with them. Good. Well, they have the oversight board, Rashad. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I remember when they called us about the oversight board, and I asked, like, the questions that one asks when someone says, has an oversight board, like, will those people um, sort of, um, you know, have what will power. those people's charge will be? I mean, I remember when the looters and shooters post happened, and I asked <laughs> them about the oversight board. And they said something to me about like those people not being fully on board yet. They didn't have laptops yeah. Yeah. and um, they hadn't gotten their laptops. And all no. I could think of was like looking at these people's names and credibility and, and bylines. It was like, oh, those people don't have laptops. Are you joking right. with me? Like, yeah. <laughs> but they're very yeah. good at a Davos dinner party, Rashad. Yes, so absolutely. you know what I mean? Yes. And what do you, what, what, what is your next move? People getting boycotts or continuing the pressure? Because they continuing do wait the pressure, you out. Mark, I mean, J- July 27th, Mark testifies in front of Congress on antitrust. Um, Mm -hmm. And honestly, like um, um, a corporation that has become so big and powerful where they don't listen to major corporations, where they don't have to listen to social justice leaders, means that there are questions about has this platform become too powerful and does it sit in the space of needing new rules, which I've sort of talked about. I -hmm. think that that is the next sort of phase in this work and how do we sort of get ourselves ready for that. And then the sort of end of July um, and beyond. Um, you know, we are also in ongoing conversations with Facebook as they keep trying to have meetings with us to explain how they've done everything that we've asked them to do, which they continue to tell advertisers that they've done everything that we've asked them to do, only to find like every week we get like BuzzFeed, who shows a white, new, new white nationalist group that's been on their platform. Mm-hmm. You know, like the problem for Facebook is, is that they it's are asking people to trust them and big companies to trust them. And, and the thing, the message I have for big companies is like, do you think that they're going to embarrass you? Because I have a quick answer for you. They will. Mm-hmm. And so like, just know that time and time again, they have no problem with embarrassing you, embarrassing your brand um, so that, that they can keep 
um, the systems running as is and not have to make changes. So we've got to help them make changes or we've got to get new rules in place. Rashad, thank you so much. I don't know what to say. It's great to hear a voice like you. It's all your whole group is fantastic. Um, you, you all should pay attention and advertisers should absolutely be paying attention to this as we're going forward. And I, uh, anything we can do to help, we certainly will. And we appreciate, appreciate you, you being you. on. Thank you. Nice Thanks. meeting you, Rashad. Pleasure. All right, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Rashad rocks. Okay, Scott, wins and fails. I'd say Rashad Robinson is a win, but um, uh, what is your wins and fails this week? Uh, My win is an opinion piece in the New York Times by Anne Borden-King, and she disclosed her uh, breast cancer diagnosis on Facebook and immediately started receiving alternative cancer care uh, ads. Uh In other words, pseudoscience, everything from... uh, using different types of silver or non-toxic cancer therapies on a beach in Mexico or cumin seeds. Um, you know, and as someone who's been around uh, a number of people who have terminal cancer, this is when people are at their most vulnerable. Yep. And they are grasping for hope and very susceptible to this kind of junk science. Mm-hmm. It's not pseudoscience. It's Yeah. It really yeah. is fraudulent. And it's it, at the end of the day, it's just not, you know, I can't, I just can never see MSNBC or Snap, or the New York Times deciding that, okay, this is clearly junk science preying on the most vulnerable. We're mm-hmm. just not going to allow it. And of course, Facebook sees, as long as their check clears, will let you target people who have late-stage metastatic breast cancer with junk science cures. It's just, mm-hmm. it's really, it kind of cuts to the notion that of, you know, what does this say about the character and the code of the people at Facebook who are approving these ads and cashing these checks and sending the invoices yeah. and then figuring out who to target with these ads. And if we yeah. didn't have so many like gigantic dumpster fires at Facebook, we'd have the time to say, all right, Facebook, should you really be preying on vulnerable cancer patients? And anyways, Miss Miss King brought that to light, I thought, very, very eloquently. Uh, my loss is I just think it's fascinating. I'm doing a ton of work looking at schools that have the most uh, international students and mm-hmm. who is most vulnerable. So University yep. of Rochester, 37%, Mount Holyoke, 28%, BU, 24%, Bryn Mawr, 22%, Bennington College, 21%, NYU, 19%. And then you could double each of those numbers, and that's probably the respective cash flow. So BU gets half its cash flow from international students, and all of them go home. You mm-hmm. could literally have – I mean, these 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 universities are so – vulnerable and these towns it gets more nuanced because a place like bu or nyu they have they, they have, have new york they have they yeah. have great brands they have big endowments they're going to be fine this is a gut punch but some universities that could go away that have mm-hmm. not great endowments high admit rates meaning that they don't have waiting lists to d- dip into when they get desperate large mm-hmm. international very expensive uh, an organization or a university like Sarah Lawrence that has 12% mm-hmm. international, 56 admin rate, a middling endowment. University of San Francisco, 50,000 a year, 13% international, 65% admin co- rate. You know, that's used by commuters and people who don't have the money. And, and then Fordham, yeah. even Fordham, a, mm-hmm. a kind of a global brand, 50,000 a year, 9% international, a 46% admin mm-hmm. rate, meaning they don't have big waiting lists. You could literally right. see the University of Rochester. You could see some brand names we know go out of business by January. 
Wow, that's a big one. That's a big one. You know, it was interesting. I, I, Amanda noticed that there was a, a college for sale in Vermont. I thought you and I could buy it. It's $3 million and start. I like it. It's like Scott and Carey University. There you go. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, it couldn't be worse oh, than Oh, you know what that would be? That would be what? heaven for people who don't believe in heaven. I know. We would, ha- we would have the best college. Uh, we would have the best uh, college together. Some of the, I think. Anyway, some I was of the thinking best of buying and worst for parties. You. I, I, I was thinking of buying it for you, and and I then we that. could argue. You could argue about cancel culture the entire. Anyway, I have a, a, a fail, yep. of course. Tucker Carlson's uh, top writer oh resigned gosh. after it was found he'd been posting racist, oh homophobic, and sexist comments can online you for years. That? Yes, I can, because he does it every day on the show. Like he's like he, and then he was in Date Club at on the Washington Post. You got to go read the date thing. It's linked to in many of the stories. He, you know, the Washington Post has this date lab or whatever where he puts two people together and it's disturbing the date lab is disturbing you could already see him say like all this stuff that he's trying to trigger this poor woman on the date with him but i have to say no i'm not surprised they do it every day on the show like so it's worse it's the same stuff yeah but to think that one of the most uh, uh, tucker carlson gets huge ratings and supposedly the president watches it religiously so arguably this is the most one of the most influential media properties in the world and the most influential voice at that media organization, even maybe more uh, influential than Tucker, who's writing this, ends up as a raging, closeted misogynist um, and racist. I don't think it's closeted. I think well, they he was using they pseudonyms. On, he wasn't even saying I, I, it's I, even worse. I understand worse. that, but on the show, when they put you know uh, women of color always attacking, constantly attacking. Um, someone who's an amazing uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth, they do it in the open. Yeah, agreed. I, they do it agreed. in the open. They just do it slightly less. It's like it's like that same Tom Cotton thing in the New York Times. It was a certain Yeah, but I thought it was for business it re- reasons. It's just that these guys are just fucking <laughs> no. weirdos. No, they really... Go read that date lab. It'll freak you out. You're like, run, young woman, run from this man. It was like full of just awful... Just... Ugh. Jesus, like I literally am like, I, I just don't know what to say because these are just Your fail awful, wins. Awful. Your fail is a winner. My fail wins. Yes, he's just awful. Uh, win, I, I don't know a win. I don't know a win this week. I think I, I'm still loving that. We got to get the Lincoln Project people on here because I think their ads are fantastic. Pretty good, right? And, oh, fantastic. Just fantastic. And uh, they just really, they know when to go for the jugular. Uh, and I was on uh, Rick Wilson's um, podcast this week with Molly Youngfast. Um, and they were, I was like, I you guys are so good at this. You're, and they're getting noticed. They're getting it. I didn't realize they have $16 million now uh, and a staff of 67. And whoever does their online media, whoever does their Twitter is so smart and funny uh, that it's really great. And I do think it's going to make a difference. I know, you know, we can please ourselves and do something, but they seem to understand exactly where to, where to shoot. All right, Scott, we have to go. Okay. Thank you, Rashad Robinson. You were great. But don't forget, if you can't get enough pivot, we're doing a live That's stream right. events. For the month of August, it's called Pivot School from New York Magazine and Vox Media Podcast Network. It unfortunately is virtual, but someday we're going to be at a school, our school in Vermont that we start together, the Kara and Scott University or the Scott and Kara University, whichever Scara. way you want to do it. Scara. <laughs> Scara you. It's oh, expensive, but really not good. worth it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, my yeah. God. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, that is really, you couldn't come up with a plan for for the Washington sports team, but you have a good name for our university. Anyway, you can get tickets at pivotschool.com. We're politically incorrect, but horrified at our political incorrectness. <laughs> 
is also a link in our show show notes. We're gonna only the only curriculum will be whether cancel culture exists or not or should. Anyway, don't forget if there's a story in the news and you're curious about it and want to hear our opinion on it, email us at pivot at voxmedia.com to be featured on the show. Scott, please read. Today's show was produced by Rebecca Sananas. Fernando Finate engineered this episode. Erica Anderson is Pivot's executive producer. Thanks also to Drew Burroughs. Make sure you've subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android user, check us out at Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. It is never too late. To unite against a common enemy. Our common enemy is a novel coronavirus. Every mass, every attempt at distance is an act of citizenship, an act of generosity, an act of love. Let's beat the shit out of this thing. It is not too late to salvage something here. It, let's get on it. Let's get on it, Kara. Let's distance. How let's about, you mask. know what I'm just saying? You know what I'm saying? You're trying to appeal to people's better angels. I'm saying don't be a mask hole. That's what I said. And also don't be a mask hole. As we teach it, Scara you. Don't be a mask (laughs) hole. Have a good week, Kara. Thanks.